0: as they say in East Texas. Because um, I can't get away from this subject of the race. I want us to understand real Christianity. Not Americanized Christianity, pop culture Christianity, made up, synthesized, diluted, polluted Christianity. But the real thing, and the real thing is we're all in a race. We're all in a race. And let's read Hebrews twelve one and 2. And this is talking about you. It's talking about me. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us what everyone run with endurance, what the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, I want you to say the next three words with me. Despising the shame. I want you to think about that phrase. Despising the shame. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and it goes on to say, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your hand is upon every person in this room and all those watching by video, listening by radio, Lord, we thank you that you have called us to a race, that you have graced us to run. We are graced for the race. And now, Lord, add one final brick to our understanding of this race that we're in. Now, will you pray a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to my heart today. Change me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tell your neighbor your grace to run the race. Tell them that. Go ahead and tell them that. Amen. We are grace to run a race. And Kathy and I missed you so much when we were gone. Uh, I, I turned over to her uh, during the worship in the first service and said, you know, this really is a good church. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm the pastor. I, I'm talking about the people. Uh, it's really a good church. And... Um, we're so thankful for it. You know, when you found a church, you start a church, at first, um, nobody knows anybody. It's got got a feeling of uh, scatteredness and coming and going and, you know, whatnot. But then you walk in one day and it has turned from a congregation into a family. And I'm starting to really feel that now, that we're a family. And we're going to touch this world for Jesus. We're going to do it. We're going to touch the world for Jesus. Now. The last few Sundays, we have talked about the race, the race that is set before us by God. God has set the race and the race track before us. It's that narrow road that leads to life. And just to give you a little recap, this is the fourth message on this, presumably the last. The, The first message, we talked about dropping the unnecessary weights that slow us down. Let us lay aside Every weight, that's part of the race. You've got to lay aside weights and sin. We talk about sin a lot, but not the weights. The weights are the cares of the world, so on and so forth. So we talked about that, the first message. Second message, we looked at the need for endurance, the need for mental and spiritual toughness. And that tells me that Christianity is not just some wimpy religion that doesn't extract anything from you or require anything. Actually, if you're running the real race, you're in a warfare. And it requires mental and spiritual toughness. Uh, The ability to keep on keeping on in the presence of adversity, which we will have plenty of, for the Bible says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent must take it by force. That's a picture of warfare. And we're in a battle, we're in a war. Now, in the third message, we looked at the admonition to faint, not in due season we shall reap if we faint not we talked about the need to understand the principle of sowing and reaping that between the sowing and the reaping there is a lag time when many people faint in the race they faint waiting for their um, reaping and they, they don't understand God's timing so we talked about that And if you missed any of those, I would grab the CD afterwards because this has been a really good, strong series. Now, in the last message, I want to talk to you about something that maybe you have not thought about, but you're really going to be thinking about after you leave today. And that is the need to not be ashamed of Jesus. Not be ashamed of Jesus. You know, if you read your Bible, and I hope you all are, interestingly, You find the gospel of Jesus Christ tied to the issue of being ashamed or or being tempted to be ashamed and others shaming you. You find that connection. You find them together. The gospel, the person of Christ, the things he taught, and being ashamed. And we find when we read the Bible that shame can really affect you in your race. Because listen, the race we're in is characterized by boldness, not characterized by shame. It's characterized by Holy Ghost boldness. We need to be, come out with it, come out of the closet. Everybody else is, let us the Christians come out. All right? Just come out. Come out, come out wherever you are. Simon Peter denied Jesus Christ three times out of shame, mingled with fear. You know him. No, I don't know him. You've been with him. No, I haven't been with him. No, I know I saw you with him. You didn't see me with him. Shame. He was ashamed. Paul wrote young Pastor Timothy, and he said, Timothy, word has come to me that you have begun to be intimidated in sharing the gospel. And I'm telling you, son, stir up the gift of God that's within you. Stir up the gift of God, and don't let shame choke you. Don't let shame choke affect your race because we all want to hear the words well done thou good and faithful servant and look what jesus said about shame whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him the son of man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the father with the holy angels now notice jesus said when you are in an adulterous and sinful generation that is sold out to sin You're going to be tempted to be ashamed of me and of my words. He says, "So let me turn the screw a little bit. If you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you when I come back. Paul gave a testimony twice in his writings. He said twice, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of Jesus and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed. The word ashamed is taken out of a Greek word that means to be disgraced or to be personally humiliated. That's what ashamed really means. I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm humiliated. I'm, I'm ashamed. We all know what it means to be ashamed. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, let's say you're part of a school play. You're, you're still in, say, elementary school, junior high, high school. You're part of a school play. You've only got a few lines to remember, and you have been tapped to say these lines, quote these lines at a certain time during the play. And when the evening arrives, the auditorium is filled, all your classmates are present, your parents are in the audience, and your moment comes to spout those lines out, and you come out there and right in front of everybody, your mind goes totally blank. And you feel the red hot heat and the blush come up into your face And even at the urging and hints from your teacher who's over in the shadows shouting your lines to you, you still can't remember. Finally, one of your classmates steps up, wins the day, carries the play, while you slink off into the shadows, and you are ashamed. That's autobiographical. That happened to me. And and you know what? I walked off, and and I said this. I will never speak in front of people again. How many of you know God has a sense of humor? But boy, was I embarrassed. And I was in a cardboard suit of armor. And I went walking off like this. Thank God I had a mask on. Now, let me give you another example. You're in a family with a reputation for being a great family. You're proud of your dad. You're proud of your mom. Your family is known for being tight and together and a great example of what a family ought to be. But one day you come home from school and your mom tells you with her head hanging low that your dad has been arrested for a DUI. And make matters worse, in today's world of social media, his mugshot is online for everybody to see The next day, you're ashamed to go to school and face the jeers and sneers of your classmates. That did not happen to me, but I know people it's happened to. Ashamed. Now, those two examples, we can understand being ashamed. But let me toss a question your way today. Why should a Christian who knows Jesus be ashamed? Why should being ashamed be an issue with a believer? Why would Jesus have to say, if you're ashamed of me, In this present evil and wicked and adulterous generation, I'm going to be ashamed of you when I come. Why did he have to kind of put a fire under us and give us a strong incentive to not be ashamed? Why is it an issue? Because if you're a believer, you believe in a wonderful Savior who did good things, went about everywhere doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Why in the world should we and would we be ashamed of him? Why should that impulse, that emotion, of shame rise up in us. Jesus said, you're going to be tempted to be ashamed of me on two fronts. Ashamed of me, Jesus himself, the person, whoever is ashamed of me, or you can be ashamed of his words. He said, is ashamed of me or of my words in this sinful and wicked generation. Now, when he said his words, he didn't just mean John three sixteen. whoever, God so loved the world and so on and so forth. That's not the only thing he was talking about. Jesus was talking about all the words he taught, all the red ink in your Bible. Read the red. All those words, everything Jesus said about money, sexuality, forgiveness, heaven, hell, everything he talked about, he said, if you're ashamed of anything I said, watch it. You're going to have to fight that spirit of shame. See, I came today to rebuke shame off of you. To talk to you about the issue of shame as it relates to Jesus Christ. Because, folks, we're in a world that is falling apart. It is dismantling in front of our eyes. If ever there was a need for a bold, strong, steel-spined, fire, fiery church, it is today. We don't need to be ashamed of Jesus. We ought not be ashamed of Jesus. I read the news and I'm amazed at what people are not ashamed about. I say, Lord, if they are not ashamed about that, then I surely can walk proudly for Jesus Christ. What is it about Jesus or the words of Jesus that causes us to be ashamed? Why do we experience that emotion, that impulse, um, particularly around the loss? You're around your loss Uh, co-workers your lost friends you're at school you're at university you're at a college you're in a high school and that impulse to be ashamed to kind of keep it under the lid that you are not a believer what is it that gets us why did paul the great apostle continually ask for prayer for boldness that he would not shrink in shame when he was faced with declaring jesus to caesar to governments, to other people? Why did he pray for boldness? Why do we sometimes experience embarrassment for being Christians, particularly in the presence of lost people? And how in the world can we be free of feeling this shame and get bold? I I want a church that is filled with boldness for Jesus Christ. I want a church that that if we were gone, this community would miss us. I, I want a church That that, uh, we're going to leave a legacy of a church that stood with the blood and stood with Jesus and stood with the word and stood with heaven and stood with hell. That is the truth of the scriptures that we didn't back down, that we didn't bow down. I I want a church that that many people will be able to say, because that church was there, I got saved. Well, the only way that's going to happen is if we're not ashamed. So let me first look at why we sometimes feel ashamed of the Lord. Let me give you one good reason why we sometimes feel ashamed of the Lord. Here's why. Because we live in a world that shames the righteous. See, anytime you feel ashamed, it's because you have been shamed. Shaming people want to make you and I ashamed. The Bible says the devil, Diabolos, is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses. He's an accuser. The the, the word actually means he hurls out accusations. He shoots accusations into the theater of your mind. It's the battlefield of the mind. He shoots at the mind. And one of the things he majors in is shooting shame into your mind. You don't even know that it's the enemy sometimes. You think it's just you. But I want to tell you, the devil shoots shame to silence you. The devil's modus operandi is to accuse the believer. He uses mocking and ridiculing. And that's all through the Bible. You can find many examples of how the enemy used mocking and ridiculing to silence believers, to silence God's people, to to make them intimidated so that they did not speak up. Because what the enemy fears more than anything else is a zealous people of God who speak up and glorify him. So he uses mocking and ridiculing. He mocks and ridicules the committed Christian in hopes of making him ashamed to stand up for Christ. And if you receive the shaming that he heaps on you, you will become ashamed of the gospel and of the Lord himself. Let me tell you, I, I, I've been preaching 40 years. I have never seen America on the shaming level that it's on right now when it comes to trying to shame believers into silence i've never seen it like it is now i mean you don't even have to say one sentence and 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 suddenly all around you are shamers trying to make you ashamed that you stood up for jesus and i say i rebuke that in the name of the lord jesus christ i'm not going to receive it Now, I've I've noticed, I've been around long enough to notice that Satan seeks to shame the believer in various ways about every 10 years. There's a different shaming weapon that he uses. About every 10 years, it changes. I'll give you an example. Pastor John Piper tells of how he had recently heard Bible teacher Alistair Begg say that his unbelieving friends criticized him in the 1960s because they did not believe the gospel was true. So they tried to shame Alistair Begg into not saying that to be saved, Jesus was the answer. And they did it this way. You're wrong. You've missed it intellectually, Mr. Begg. In other words, you're not very bright. You're not very intellectual. You're not thinking this through and they tried to shame him. Have you noticed? Have you noticed the shaming going on in this culture right now towards believers? But watch this. In the 90s, so 30 years later, Alistair begged from the 60s to the 90s. In the 90s, the shaming had changed. And they began criticizing him for claiming that there's any truth at all. In other words, the shaming tactic changed from... You are wrong and not very bright to you are arrogant if you think anybody else is wrong. You know why? Because we live in a day of relativism where all truth is relative. And who are you, Alistair Begg, or you, Church of Jesus Christ, to tell me that I'm wrong and you're right because my truth is right for me and your truth is right for you, so don't cramp my style with your truth. And if you... Do that. In other words, if you believe in absolute truth, and this Bible is a book of absolute unchanging truth, it doesn't change. But isn't it funny if I take a stand on this Bible, if I say that I believe this Bible, I am shamed. I'm shamed as being anti intellectual, I'm shamed as not being very bright, I'm shamed into into being called narrow minded if I believe that this Bible is absolutely true. But you know what's happened to our country since we said, that Bible is not my truth. This country has gone down into the sewer as soon as we rejected the absolute truth of God's word. But see, we're being told now that, and this is a different change, a different shaming. So it went from, don't tell me the gospel is the truth, to don't tell me you know truth, to now, the shaming tactic of Satan is, you're intolerant if you tell me you know the truth. Have you noticed that those who call you intolerant are intolerant of you? Can I say that again? Those who call you intolerant are intolerant of you? Those who preach tolerance, we gotta be tolerant. Love is being tolerant. But if you come along and say that you believe the Bible or you take a stand on the morality of the Bible they are exceedingly intolerant towards you. And if you're intolerant, which is the the big sin of this culture then you are also mean-spirited and egotistical for disagreeing with the world's values and the world's morality. And when in the world are you going to get enlightened? When are you going to grow up and mature and realize that that Bible is old, archaic, stale, and it's not relevant for today? For example, the world that we live in will shame you instantly if you take a stand on what Scripture says about homosexuality. Or same-sex marriage. If you even offer an opinion. Well, gee, I don't agree with you. I kind of happen to believe that that's sin. Sin. You believe it's sin. Oh, my gosh. We've got one of those standing in front of us right now. You intolerant, homophobic, bigot, and Islamophobic while I'm at it. Phobia is one of this culture's favorite words when, in fact, the Greek word phobos means to have a dreaded fear of something. I'm not afraid of people living the homosexual lifestyle. They don't make me afraid. I love them. I don't agree with the lifestyle. I don't think the Bible does, but I don't say that hatefully. Please. Because I disagree with you, I hate. You disagree with me, I'm not calling you a hater. I'm calling you a person with a different opinion. Have you noticed that if if you take a stand on evolution, I I believe that evolution is crazy, it's fairy dust. It's not real. You are looked at, you are immediately shamed. How can you be so anti-intellectually stupid? How can you not have realized that we all evolved from apes? If you take a stand on Bible morality, in this culture, a tsunami of condemnation and shaming will quickly come crashing down upon you from those who preach tolerance. Shaming. Shaming. You'll be called things like hater, a bigot, a homophobe, and shaming type words. You see with me the the, the tactic of the enemy. Remember, our battle isn't with flesh and blood. The tactic of the enemy is to shame the church into silence. I know exactly what I'm talking about. When I was in uh, my undergraduate college, I'll go ahead and say the school, University of North Texas, I was a radio TV film major. And, I, and so in, in one of my film classes, it, it was reaching the end of the semester, which meant first semester, so it was almost Christmas, and, and, and we were all given the assignment of coming up with our own video. And it was supposed to be a three-minute video you were the talent, you were the one that was going to be on camera reading the cue cards and, and the, the text that you wrote, and you had your lighting people, your sound people, your camera people, you had your, uh, your director up in the, the director's booth, and, and the whole class was to sit and watch your video and critique it when you were done. So I thought, wow, it's Christmas time. What can I do? And I thought, ah, I am in the presence of some very curiously intellectual people, first mistake. And so I'm going to do something on the prophecies about Jesus Christ that all came to pass because surely when they hear the accuracy of Bible prophecy, they're all going to be amazed and ask me how to be saved. Wrong again. So my day came. And I got sat down in the chair and, and there in front of me are my cue cards and the lights are on and the cameras are running and my sound people are up in there and everybody's involved and all of my classmates are over to my right in their chairs. And so I'm reading Micah 5, 2, but you Bethlehem, though you are little among the clans of Judah, yet out of you shall he come forth. I thought, wow, that'll get them. It prophesied centuries before Jesus that he'd be born in Bethlehem. Surely they're all going to stand up and say, wow. All of a sudden, I started hearing noise. I'm reading Isaiah 9. and You will call his name wonderful. Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I think, wow, God's falling. I heard more noise. Finally, I'm done with my little three-minute video and the lights come on. No one is there. It was a huge success. No one's there. Not even my teacher. See, when the lights come on, the cockroaches run. <laughs> so, but, but I got to tell you, I was young in the Lord, in all honesty. And it blew me away. I said, there was one girl remaining. She was a Christian. She came up to me, head bowed, said, Jeff, I'm so sorry. She said, they all left during your speech. I said, where'd they go? She said, I don't know. The whole class? Well, where's the teacher? Well, he left too. I said, you have got to be kidding me. Now, you know what hit me? Shame. Immediately, the devil hopped on my shoulder and said, you overdid it, dude. You overstepped. You came on too strong. You should have been a silent witness." You know what that is? That's an oxymoron. You can't be silent and witness. Okay? But I, I walked out in the hall because nobody was there, so I guess class was over. So I walked out in the hall, and there they all are, leaned up against the hall. Uh, leaned up against the wall. And when I came walking by, they turned around. It was like, what did I do? What did I do? Where is the, all this intellectual curiosity college students are supposed to have? And I was taking a bus to school in those days. I got on the bus, and I said, Lord, I blew it. I made a mistake. What did I do wrong? They, they, they all left. There was nobody that wanted to get saved. What did I do? And I was crushed. And you know you know what it did? It shamed me, and I felt ashamed. I felt that I'd made a mistake. And, and the Lord just entered that bus and spoke to my heart and said, Jeff, didn't I tell you that if they persecute me, they'll persecute you? And didn't I tell you if they receive me, they'll receive you? He said, welcome to my world. <laughs> and so I, I understand the, the shaming thing. Some of you are experiencing it every day at work or in school. You're, you're feeling shame. You're, there's that impulse, don't say anything because I don't want to be shamed because no one likes being shamed. Say, well, then, then, Jeff, how do we get out from under that shaming? By the way, I never let my witness go at that school. I witnessed to the day I walked across the stage and walked away. I witnessed for Jesus at that school. But that was a shocker for me. I'd never experienced that. And I learned when you turn on the light, get ready for the consequences. So how do we do it? I'm going to tell you how Jesus did it. Are you ready? First, Jesus, it says, despised the shame. Did you catch that when I read it? For the joy set before him, he, Jesus, endured the cross, watch this, despising the shame. He despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus despised the shame. Can we just say that little phrase together, despise the shame? Did you ever catch that? Did you ever see that when you read it? Despised means to think down on, to think down on refers to holding somebody in contempt. It means deeming someone unworthy. You ever been treated contemptuously? You ever been treated like you were less than somebody else, looked down on? That's the word. But listen, it's put into a spiritual sense here. When Jesus was tempted to be shamed, he despised it. He looked at shame and said, I despise you. Who are you to try to gain real estate in my soul? I will not be shamed. I will not be shamed for my purpose. I will not be shamed or ashamed of my father. I am the savior of the world and you're not going to shame me because listen, here's what he said, shame, I despise you. Have you ever thought about doing that? When you're in a group and and the Holy Spirit says, say something and your immediate impulse is, well, I'm not gonna say anything because I will be shamed. Somebody will say something critical or laugh at me or reject me, and that will make me ashamed. Have you ever thought about saying, shame, I despise you. I despise you. Shame, I will not yield to you. You might attack me, but I will not succumb to you or follow you or allow you to rule my life heart or affect my destiny or shut my mouth. Amen. I despise you, shame. You're not worthy of my time. I'm not going to give you a second thought. I'm going to be proud of my Savior, proud of what He taught, and I'm not going to bow, bend, break, or back down through shame. See, what Jesus shows us is that just because you're shamed doesn't mean it has to result in your being ashamed. I'm going to say that again. Just because somebody shames you and people are always going to shame you if you stand for him, just because you're being shamed and they want to silence you by shame doesn't mean that you've got to receive it and become ashamed. No way we should ever walk around with our heads tucked because we stood for God. So Jesus shows us, yeah, I was shamed. Jesus was shamed, but I wasn't ashamed But there's more. Jesus was able to despise the shame. He was able to despise it, watch this, because of what was in his immediate future. It says, for the joy set before him. What joy was that? He was about to be the redeemer of all mankind. He was about to be seated at the right hand of the Father God. It says he despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. And folks, I'm going to tell you, when Jesus told shame... I see you and treat you with contempt. I will not receive you, shame. He was in the most shaming moment of his life, the shame of the cross. Listen carefully. You talk about a shaming moment. I thought I'd had a bad one that day when the class walked out. But shame had stripped away from Jesus every earthly support. When he was on the cross, his friends had left him in shaming abandonment. His reputation was destroyed by shaming slander. His decency was taken away by shaming nakedness. His comfort was taken in shaming torture. So how in the world did Jesus, hanging on the cross, surrounded by shame, all the disciples have run from him because they're ashamed of him, Only his mother and the other Mary and a couple of other women are there at the cross looking up weeping. How did Jesus not give in to the power of shame? The Bible says, here's how he did it. He set his heart not on the support systems of this present world, which always fail you. But on the joy of the future, where very, very soon he would be seated at the right hand of the throne of God he said, I am focused on that. I am so intent on that. I'm so looking forward to that that I refuse to let shame hinder my progress toward that. He was being shamed, but he was not ashamed of his purpose, his destiny, his father. And you know what? He experienced all that shaming so you and I would not walk in shame. All that shaming. Some of you live in shame. Every day you wake up and you look in the mirror and say, Boy, if only I hadn't this and that and the other. And you live in shame. You feel ashamed. Listen, Jesus took all that shaming so that you and I would not have to live in the bondage of shame. So, we must despise the shame. We must focus on what is coming, the joy of soon coming Jesus. How many are you looking forward to seeing Jesus one day? (laughs) Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we do know that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, Now that ought to be something that makes us say to shame, Get out of my life. I will not receive shame. I despise you. I'm going to stand up boldly for the one who stood up for me. But there's one more way to shun the shame and walk in the freedom of boldness, and that is, I want you to listen to this, ponder the power of the gospel to transform the very lives of those seeking to shame you. See, every time you stand up for Jesus, somebody's going to get touched somebody is going to get touched. I'm so glad that the preacher that came to me in jail when I was 16 years old was not ashamed of the gospel, stood right up, looked us in the eyeball and told us we were all going straight to hell. As if that was news to us in jail. (laughs) Ponder the power. Listen to what Paul said. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He says, for, here's the reason why, It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Here's what Paul is saying. Why should I be ashamed of something that is going to set another person free? Why should I be ashamed of a Savior who sets the captives free, a Savior who delivers us from hell, a Savior who gives you peace in this troubled world, a Savior who heals and puts your life together? Why should I be ashamed? It's like a doctor saying, a doctor, Dr. Ben, Dr. Ben, He runs into a friend in the hospital hallway. Hey, hey, Doc, Doctor Ben, how's it been going? Well, you know, last month. Well, I'm a little ashamed to say it, but I discovered a cure for cancer. I'm embarrassed. He would say, "You have a cure for cancer, and you're embarrassed to say it. You know where I'm going." The worst cancer in all the universe is the cancer of sin. Every sickness, every disease, every trouble, every problem, every bloodshed, every grief in this world is from sin. And you know what the Bible says? That Jesus conquered, Jesus destroyed the power of sin. Death, hell, and the grave were destroyed by Jesus Christ. So here we are. Why would we be embarrassed of the cure for the cancer of sin? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because I see what it does when those to whom I, with whom I share it receive it, I see what it does. And in none other than Jesus is there salvation, for neither is there any other name under heaven whereby men can be saved, but the name of Jesus. Let me tell you the truth today, being very unpolitically correct. Buddhism can't wash your sin away. If you don't know Jesus, you have a sin problem. No, I have family problems. No, at the root, you have a sin problem. Hinduism can't open heaven's gates for you. Ask the millions upon millions in India if that's true or not. Can I say it again? Islam can't deliver you from hell. But Jesus, he is, the gospel is the only message on earth that if you receive it, you are instantly forgiven, instantly delivered, instantly carried into the presence of God and reconciled with God, instantly. <laughs> So Paul and Jesus would would say to us, are you going to be misunderstood? You better believe it. Are people going to try to shame you into silence? Yes, they are. But you don't have to be ashamed of such a wonderful Savior and such a powerful gospel. Can we stand together today? Say with me, despise the shame. Focus on what's coming. Ponder the gospel's power. Stand up for Jesus everywhere you go. I'm going to ask there to be as little movement as possible. Unless it's this way in just a moment. Please don't move. We'll dismiss in just a moment. But there are people who have been listening to me who need Jesus. If you just bow for a moment of prayer. You're here today not by accident. You're not here today just because somebody invited you. God saw to it that you were here today. Some of you used to walk with the Lord, used to be red hot for Jesus. But you've drifted away. You're at best lukewarm, maybe even cool. You're just not where you used to be. I'm not condemning you. I've been there. I've experienced that. And I'm happy to tell you that Jesus can bring you back to red-hot fervency, to excitement, to that lost zeal. He can restore it. And I encourage you to, as he was not ashamed of you, don't be ashamed of him today. Say, Lord, I need you. I'm not ashamed to say it. Maybe you've never in your life said, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord. And he's only a prayer away. You can settle it today. So with our heads bowed, you can say, you know, Jeff, I'm in one of those two categories. I've drifted. I know I'm not where I used to be and I want to be back. I want to be excited again. I want to be filled with that zeal again. Or I've got a question mark whether I've ever had a personal encounter with Jesus. If you're in either one of those two, With our heads bowed, would you slip your hand up right in the air, right where you are. Just put it up high and let me see you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. I want to lead you. God bless you back there. I want to lead us in a prayer right now. Say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. Rose from the dead that I could be forgiven. Lord, forgive me. Fill my heart with your spirit. I repent of anything that's kept me from you. And I come to you with my whole heart. In the name of Jesus. Now listen carefully to me. If you prayed that with me, there's a little card. Do we have that card? Any? Can somebody just quickly... It's a little, there it is, this card. Now, watch this. I I have a real reason for doing this. It says growth track on the back. There's a place for a name and address and four boxes. If you prayed, I prayed to receive Christ, or I would like to get involved, or whatever it is, wherever you are, we need to know that you prayed with us. So I want you to grab that card, fill it out, and just lay it in your seat when you leave. Just lay it in your seat and we will get it. Okay. How many of you needed this message today on boldness? Amen.